just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Tuesday. It is Election Day. It is Midterms Election Day. Now this is a day we've been talking about for some time. Almost two years we've been talking about this. Since Joe Biden won the presidency in 2020, a lot of people have been speculating and talking about the upcoming midterms in 2022, November of 2022. Well, now we're here. Now, when they first started talking about it, it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion that historically speaking, when the Democrat wins the presidency, inevitably, the Republicans will win the midterms. And 99.9% of the time that occurs. But a lot's been happening in the last two years. On the positive side for the Democrats, Joe Biden has probably been the most successful president, legislatively speaking, in the first two years of his administration. Passed the infrastructure bill, the COVID relief bill, uh, part of the Build Back Better bill. He's done a lot. He's accomplished a lot, while at the same time the Republicans have been doing everything they can to obstruct him. Joe Biden's done a good job. The fact of the matter is Joe Biden is turning out to be a better president than I expected him to be. He would have he would not have been my first choice as president. I felt like he was too old. I still feel like he's too old. But he got the job and when he worked with Congress, at least the Democrats in Congress, he was able to get a lot done. So that spoke well of Donald Trump and the Democrats and gave them a better shot coming up to the midterms. But it wasn't just that that kind of changed the perspective on the 2022 midterms. Because you see, the Republicans did a lot of stuff too, but most of it would cost them votes. Now remember, they lost the Senate, they lost the presidency, The Democrats held on to the House in 2020. So you would presume that between 2020 and 2022, if you expect the Republicans to win, that they must have done some things to gain votes. But as hard as I look at this, they have done nothing to gain votes. But they have done a lot of things to lose votes, like overturning Roe v. Wade. Yeah, pissing off and taking constitutional rights away from women. That one effort is probably going to sink them for the midterms. Then they start bragging about, well, when we get in, we'll do this, we'll do that. We'll take away Social Security and Medicare. Now, what they apparently don't understand is that Republicans, as well as Democrats, count on Social Security and Medicare simply to survive. What gave them the idea that this was something good to talk about going into the midterms? I have no fucking clue. I mean, this is somebody who's really tone deaf if they think that's going to work in their favor. So here we are coming up today, 
the midterm elections. The Republicans want to believe that uh, they are going to win the midterms because of history. And I've always said, well, history is a good thing to look at. But unfortunately, what we've seen from 2020 to 2022 are things we've never seen in history. So to compare what's going to happen in the midterms with past history makes no sense. I've said all along as I've looked at the facts, and I tried to understand this the best I can, that the Democrats should hold on to the House and the Senate, and with high hopes, they will expand their majorities. You watch the media, and they'll say, oh, it's close, the Republicans are surging. And of course, they want you to believe that because they want the Battle of the Titans come this day, so more people will be glued to their television networks or radio networks or the internet or whatever it is. They want your attention, and the best way to get it is to suggest this is going to be the Battle of the Titans, and I'm not so sure it's going to be. Now, that said, I'm not a psychic. I'm not some prognosticator. I don't know anything more than anybody else. All I can do is look at the facts and decide for myself what makes the most sense. And the most sense, based on everything that's gone on since 2020, is the Democrats should hold on to the House and the Senate. Now, I could be wrong. I have no problem with being wrong. That could happen. And if I'm wrong, when I come back on the Rational Boomer podcast, you will hear me say, I'm wrong. But that doesn't mean the world comes to an end. See, the Democrats would have you believe that. They're suggesting that if the Democrats don't win the House, then democracy is gone, which is not true. Nothing happens that fast. If the Republicans get power in the House and or the Senate, yeah, we have a lot of problems but because we have some, some incredibly deceitful, corrupt and criminal people in the Republican Party. And to put them into power, God knows what they will do, or at least try to do. So here we are on the day, and we are going to find out what's going on. I'm hoping the next time I come back to you here on the podcast and to say, I was right, or if I have to, I'll say I was wrong. But no matter how this plays out, This is what I want you to understand. While people are waiting to hear the results, I know there's a lot of people that are going to be anxious and nervous and upset and scared about what might be should the Republicans win. And I'll give you a bit of advice, something I learned many years ago, and it helps to keep me sane. These people that are anxious, upset, or scared about what's going to happen here, you don't need to do that. It makes no logical sense to do that because you really can't be worried about something you can't fix or you can't do something about. Now, you and I and the Rational Boomer podcast have done as much as we can since I've gone on the air with the podcast. We've talked about a lot of stuff on TikTok. I've tried to convince a lot of people, and I've done the best I can. And those of you in the uh, audience, you've done the best you can, too, talking to friends, neighbors, what have you. There comes a point 
when there's a point of no return, and that's where we're at today. Today is election day. Nothing we could do or say will change anything. So at this point, since we can't control the situation, all we need to do is sit back and wait. Watch and wait. And let's see what happens. If it turns out great, we will jump for joy. If it turns out bad, we will be crying in our respective beverages. But either way, either way, when this is all over, we still have a lot of work to do. We've still got a lot of activity in the uh, DOJ, in Georgia, in New York, and this is going to take its toll on the Republican Party, even if they win the House. We are going to see sitting members of Congress exposed for their participation in an insurrection. And this could very well get them expelled from Congress. That's going to change a lot of things for the Republicans. It's going to put them in a bad situation. So, like I say, all we can really do is sit back and wait. Hope for the best and expect the best. Because that's the only way you should go into anything, assuming you're going to win. But if you don't win, then we just have to sit back, stay calm, and say, okay, what do we got, and what do we need to do next? All right, I have some emails that have come to me, and I thought I'd read them. Here's a long one from Deb. Haven't heard from her in a while. Happy Election Day, Mike. It's been a bit since I wrote, and I have a few things I wanted to discuss. No problem, Deb. Number one, Joe Rogan. I don't get it. He is and always will be the Fear Factor host. Nothing more. He played king over idiots willing to eat cockroaches, get attacked by dogs, etc. How does this make him an informative podcast host? Like I said, I never saw... The draw, not on that stupid show and not on a podcast. Well, you're absolutely right. He's just a guy. He's not smarter than anybody. But the reason he has power now, the reason Twitter had power, the reason any platform has power is because a lot of people were drawn to it. It doesn't matter what he says is real or true. All that matters is the amount of people consuming whatever it is he says and how much money he's generating. That is his only claim to credibility. He's got a lot of listeners. That's really all that it is. He was an actor. He was a comedian. He was a martial artist. Um, He's a self-proclaimed dumbass. He said that on the show. I don't know why people believe me. I'm just a fucking dumbass. And I respect the guy for coming clean and stating the obvious. He is kind of a dumbass. Let's be perfectly honest. When you turn on the TV or you turn on the radio or you turn on the Internet, this world, this country is full of dumbasses. And just because they're able to garner a certain amount of attention doesn't give them any credibility. Joe Rogan does know about some things. He's kind of a compelling interviewer. But the people he has on, I don't know, sometimes it's interesting, sometimes it's not. He always talked a lot about UFOs and martial arts, and sometimes he'll have Jordan Peterson on or something. 
you got to take it for what it's worth. I told people this. Remember when we were talking about uh, Rush Limbaugh? I remember when he first came out. This was before there was a distinct division between Democrats and Republicans, and actually Republicans and Republicans. He was a loudmouth conservative, but it wasn't really a thing back then. However, he did get very, very popular. And he ranted and raved and said outrageous stuff. And people would talk to me about it because I was working in radio at the time. And I really respected what he did. He stepped away from a big entity. He started his own thing and became wildly successful. But I always gave this warning to people who would talk about Rush Limbaugh or anybody else that was popular at the time, whether they be left-leaning or right-leaning. You have to understand, if you're listening to him on the radio, you're listening to a show. Not what Rush Limbaugh really believes or really wants to talk about. He's looking at what's going to get him the attention, what's going to get him the listeners, and ultimately the money. I hate to burst your bubble, but that is true. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, Rush Limbaugh or any of these other clowns are better people off the air. But they are capitalizing on the weakest and the dumbest of this country. Somebody like uh, Rush Limbaugh was trading in the lowest common denominator, which is Trump's base. So anyway, why is Joe Rogan popular? Because a lot of people listen to him. That's the only reason. He gets credibility because a lot of people listen to him. For some reason, they find him entertaining And that's enough. Because he's entertaining and now very wealthy, all of a sudden he's credible. But he's not. He's no more credible than anybody else. Number two, Elon. She wrote Elong with a G on the end, Musk. I don't know if that's a mistake or if she's taking a jab there. Elon Musk, freaking idiot. Anyone that would date Amber Heard willingly after the debacle with Johnny Depp is certainly not a genius. Well, I did a TikTok earlier today talking about the alleged genius of Elon Musk. I don't find him a very intelligent guy any either. At least, you know, maybe he is a good engineer. Maybe he knows about electric cars and and uh, spacecraft. But generally speaking, in general terms in life, he doesn't seem like a bright guy. He claims to make an offer for Twitter, and then he tries to back out. But somehow Twitter outplayed him and forced him to buy it. First time he comes in, what does he want to do? He wants to fire half his staff. But then one day later, he says, oh, Jesus, I fired too many people. Can you guys come back? This is not a smart man. This is not somebody who's done his research. And even before he bought Twitter, his reason for trying to pull out was because he said there's so many bots on Twitter. Really, motherfucker? You didn't, you didn't think to check that out before you made an offer of $44 billion? That's not the move. Of somebody very smart. I don't think Elon Musk is all that smart. Now on Twitter, on the Twitter front, Valerie Bertinelli, who when I was a kid, I thought she was hot as hell. I still like her. 
Um, but she's an old person like me. She and I are about the same age. Anyway, Valerie Bertinelli absolutely owned him on Twitter by doing the same thing Kathy Griffin did. I never saw, heard about Kathy until you said it on your podcast, but Bertinelli was trending and being called Queen of Twitter. Interestingly enough, Sarah Silverman also did this same move, and Bertinelli and Silverman were not suspended, yet Griffin was. And I think part of the reason for that was that um, Bertinelli and Silverman was told to take it down, and they did, but Kathy Griffin didn't. Basically, they were making uh, liberal statements, and and, and basically what, what happened was, you know, Elon Musk was going to tell people, if you want a verified check, the blue check, it's going to cost you eight bucks a month. But he fired all the oversight, so presumably people could go on and say they're anybody and get the blue check by simply paying eight bucks a month. You know, they could have been anybody, really. But in this case, with Valerie Bertinelli, uh, Kathy Griffin, and uh, Sarah Silverman, they got a blue check, apparently, for Elon Musk. Now, this ruffled Musk's feathers a little bit. But again, if you're a genius, don't you see the potential problem there? It could blow up in your face, and it did blow up in his face, and he's angry about it. He doesn't strike me as a bright man based on the things he does. Number three, my granddaughter asked me about the election. She wanted me to explain midterms, who we were voting for, etc. Try explaining this dumpster fire to a nine-year-old. It is so sad that the political climate in our country has been destroyed to the degree it has by Donald Trump and his deranged minions. She knows about Trump. I teach her as much as I feel she can handle and answer her questions. I want her to grow up with the knowledge of politics, not wait until she's old enough to vote to learn what is truly going on. While trying to explain why the Republicans are like they are, I realized one main differences, especially in ads. It is the Republicans are always negative. It's the same in their speeches. The Dems usually lean toward more positive messages. This reminded me of high school homecoming float competitions between classes. The float that won was always the one with the positive message. Something to think about as today looms. Number four, I agree with you 100% regarding the first two things we need to address when we win. Positive thinking. Being codifying Roe v. Wade and to pack the court. But I think the third thing that needs to be addressed is putting an age limit on all three branches of government. Perhaps it's at 65 or 70. But we need to be rid of these geriatric old fucks whose brains no longer keep up with the times. Couldn't agree with you more. I don't know if that's something that's going to be easily passed. Somebody has thrown out... uh, uh, a term terms of service for Supreme Court justices being 18 years. Don't know if that's a good idea, but at least it's in the conversation. Number five, the last thing, dealing with Trump Lafux that you love. My dad is one. I'm embarrassed even admitting that. I can't cut him out of my life as he is my dad. And truth be told, until Trump, he was an intelligent, articulate man. He is 84 
and I swear his brain is incapable of rationalizing out facts. I can show him proof, yet he denies it. I was extremely close to him my entire life, but now I have to keep my distance. I can no longer have discussions with him for fear politics might come up. I don't deal with Trump in my life at all except for him. Yeah, I get that. I can't cut my dad out of my life at this point. He's old, he's my dad, and I love him. Do you have any suggestions for me or those like me aside from what I'm already doing? Well, I've rambled long enough. Hopefully by the time you read this, the election will be over and the Republicans will be put down. I truly believe they will. Hashtag blue in 22. Thanks for reading, Deb. Well, I'm recording this at about midnight, 1230 on Tuesday morning. So nothing has ended as yet. And I have the same positive feelings you do. You're in a tough situation with your father. I haven't spoken to my father, who's 82, um, probably 15 or 20 years. And while he shares some personality traits with Donald Trump, my issues with him are in a different different realm. Uh, The main reason why I don't speak to my father is because when I think back of all the things he did, and not so much to me and my siblings, but to my mother, Um, And the kind of person he is, to me, it always seemed like wherever he went, there was this dark cloud. And when I was younger and married and had kids, I didn't want that dark cloud over my family. I wanted to get away from it as quickly as I could. I had a couple of experiences with him uh, between that time and now. Didn't go well. He hasn't changed. He's pretty much all about himself. Uh, He is a narcissist. And I just decided, you know what? I want a happy life. I don't want somebody like this to bring me down to their level or just make me sad or anxious or anything like that. So I don't talk to him. And frankly, he doesn't have an interest in talking to me and my siblings either because we figured him out. We cornered him. We exposed him for who he is. And a true narcissist will never put themselves back in that situation again. He won't come talk to us. So, you know, as sad as it is where you don't talk to your dad, for me, it's kind of like survival. Now, for you, it's a different thing. I understand what you're saying. You give him facts and he can't comprehend it or is unwilling to comprehend it. You saw that play out in the two times I talked to Trumplefux on the Rational Boomer podcast. You can't argue with them because they don't use common sense and they don't use logic and facts and truth. Um, You're in a tight spot because you love your dad. You still want to see your dad. The only thing I can suggest is just don't talk about politics at all. Even if he wants to go there, go a different way. Even if you want to be up front with them and say, look, Dad, you and I don't agree on things. We have our whole lives that we spend together. I'm not going to ruin this relationship based on politics. Politics was never an issue 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. And I don't want it to be part of our relationship now. So you're going to have to respect that. And just not talk about it. I'll respect it and not talk about it. We've got so many other memories we can deal with. We don't have to deal with politics. Now, the only thing I will say about that, 
a lot of times with Trumplifux, they can't let it go. They've got to shove it in your face. Now, whatever happens in this midterm election may have some impact with your father. Um, if the Democrats win, he may just shut up about it. He may not talk about it. Or he might complain, like Trumplifux do. If they win, I'm afraid they're going to get on their soapboxes and start screaming to the heavens. Honestly, this is a tough one, Deb. I don't know what to really do with it. You're going to kind of have to finesse your way through and just see what's best. At 82 years of age, he doesn't have a lot of time left. Let's be perfectly honest. You don't want to waste those remaining years on arguing about Donald fucking Trump, for Christ's sake. So try to see your way above it. Hope against hope that your father will do the same and try to maintain the, uh, the, the, the relationship. Now, I will say after the midterms, chances are it's going to cool down a little bit. I mean, this whole political thing, this adversarial thing has been at a fever pitch since 2020, since before 2020. Um, when they finally get beat, here's what's going to happen. Donald Trump will get shamed and he will become a pariah in the Republican Party. The cool thing will be to not like Donald Trump. And hopefully that will settle down your dad when that happens. I got my fingers crossed for you. Hope against hope that uh, that it works out. But you're in a tough situation. Just be careful. Be cautious. And focus on those things that you love about your dad and tell him to focus on those things that he loves about you and fuck politics. All right, this next email comes to me from Scott. And um, it's basically an article. He gave me a link about this Russian, Yevgeny Prigozhin, or something like that. Apparently, this guy is a Russian asset or whatever, and he basically suggested or admitted or confessed that the Russians did meddle in the election. He goes on to say, I will answer you very subtly and delicately, and I apologize. I will allow a certain ambiguity. Gentlemen, we interfered. We interfere and will interfere. Carefully, precisely, surgically, and in our own way, as we know how. During our pinpoint operations, we will remove both kidneys and a liver at once. And, of course, he's, you know, he's making an analogy there. He's not literally going to do that. So the U.S. government says they have mostly eliminated Russian troll farms. But I have to wonder if Yevgeny is actually correct, and if the surgeon doing these pinpoint operations isn't Elon Musk. Well, that's interesting. And he goes on to say, thoughts, Scott, and then he has a P.S. P.S., I tag you quite a bit in TikToks that are interesting or that sometimes make me laugh. Do you have time to look at those videos when I tag you, or are you largely time-consuming bothersome. No, by all means, tag me in whatever you got. I look at a lot of pot, a lot of uh, TikToks, but I'm always open to new information. So by all means, um, keep tagging me. I'm never too busy for listeners. 
And as far as Elon Musk being a um, a Russian asset, I don't know. It kind of seems like it. I mean, four years ago, if somebody said Donald Trump is a Russian asset, you'd say, oh, that's crazy. But now we know clearly he is. And Elon Musk sure acts like one. Now, we're going to talk more. I've got one more email, and then we're going to talk more about this story. So we'll get some better insight as to what is happening there. It's interesting, to say the least. All right, the last email comes from Eric. He says, Hi, Mike. I agree that after the midterms, the shit will literally hit the fan with these investigations. I think several current and possibly former members of Congress will be charged. I also think that Donald Trump will probably be hit with state charges from Georgia and possibly New York. I don't know if DOJ will charge Trump separately for the tax cases, the documents case, and the January 6th case. If they charge him separately, I'd expect that possibly the documents case to be charged by the end of the year and to not see charges for January 6th till after Rudy Giuliani, Roger Stone, and Steve Bannon and several others get charged and possibly flipped. I agree that there is no logical way the Democrats lose either house. However, if they do, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema fall in line and you see a a flurry of stuff pushed through in lame duck session. When they increase their lead in both houses, I see about five top priorities getting done almost immediately after the new Congress is sworn in. Those being codifying Roe v. Wade, expanding the Supreme Court, a larger student loan forgiveness package, including more reforms passed as legislation, inflation reduction legislation, including tax increases on the wealthy and businesses, and lastly, health care reform, including a drug pricing legislation. If the Democrats get those accomplished in the next two years, I don't see how the Republicans win in 2024. Thank you, Eric. And Eric, in all honesty, I'm right on board with you. I see all those things, too. That would be what you would expect should the Democrats win. And there'll be a lot of hustling around if they don't win to try to get some things done before January. But I really believe the Democrats will win the House and the Senate. Like I say, I could be wrong, but I, I just don't see how that's wrong, especially with the huge turnouts in Georgia and Texas and other states around the country. That huge turnout is bad news for the Republicans. Republicans don't benefit when there's a huge turnout. So I'm hoping against hope that the Democrats do win. And then the Democrats get on their bicycle and start doing and passing a lot of shit because that will all help them in 2024 for the presidential election and any Senate. Well, Kirsten Sinema will be up for reelection in 2024, amongst some others. And when they when she is, expect her not to last very long. It's just not going to last. The Democrats in their own state hate her guts. All right. We are going to take a quick break, and when we get back, 
Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that Russian spy guy and the things he said, and of course, other stories as well. But let's take a quick break and we will be right back. All right, let's get back to this story with this Russian who is allegedly confessing that Russia meddled in the elections. And let's be perfectly honest, we know this. We know it's true. It's just interesting that uh, a Russian would come out and say that. His name is Yevgeny Prigozhin, a a Kremlin-linked oligarch known as Vladimir Putin's chef, appeared to admit to Russian interference in U.S. elections in a Telegram post on Monday. Now, Prigozhin said that Russia has interfered, is interfering, and will continue to interfere in U.S. democratic process in response to a journalist's question about Russia potentially meddling in the U.S. congressional elections on Tuesday. He said, as I stated earlier, I will answer you very subtly and delicately, and I apologize. I will allow a certain ambiguity. Gentlemen, we interfered, we interfere, and will interfere. Carefully, precisely, surgically, and in our own way as we know how. During our pinpoint operations, we will remove kidneys and the liver at once, he added. Prigozhin has no post in Russian government at this moment, but his statement appeared to be the first admission of a high-level Russian campaign to interfere in the U.S. elections from someone close to the Kremlin. Prigozhin is reportedly one of Putin's trusted confidants, so close that the Russian press dubbed him the chef to the Russian president after he began catering events for the Kremlin. Prigozhin subsequently won lucrative catering contacts for schools and Russia's armed forces, and by 2010 he was a Kremlin insider with a growing commercial empire. It was not immediately clear how serious Prigozhin was being in the comments, which appeared to have been made somewhat sarcastically. But the U.S. has sanctioned Prigozhin for funding the Internet Research Agency, a notorious Russian troll farm accused of meddling in several recent U.S. elections. Prigozhin was charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States in 2018 by special counsel Robert Mueller in relation to the alleged election meddling. Now, of course, this doesn't give us any new information in as far as did the Russians meddle. They not only meddled in 2020, they clearly meddled in 2016. They admitted they meddled in 2016, and they admitted that they did it to the benefit of Donald Trump. I don't know how clearer you have to be on this situation, that Donald Trump talks about the 2020 election fraud and the cheating and all this stuff. Well, the fact of the matter is Donald Trump cheated in 2016. There's no two ways to fucking look at it. What the United States can do about this, I don't know. I suspect anything that's going on and anything the government of the United States of America is doing, we won't know about. We won't see it happen. But in a country like the United States, we cannot have a foreign country meddling in our elections. We can't allow that to happen. That's got to change. That's got to stop. And hopefully they're in the process of doing that. That meddling by the Russians got Donald Trump to be president of the United States, and he did immense damage to this country. 
And I think you'll remember a comment made by Khrushchev 50 years ago or whenever it was. And Khrushchev uh, said something. I think it was Khrushchev. Maybe it was somebody else. You can correct me if you want. But they basically said they will defeat the United States, but not with bombs and, and, and war, but from the inside out. Sounds very telling, doesn't it? Because that's exactly what they're doing by delegitimizing and meddling in our elections. They're working from the inside out, and they've been pretty effective by it, largely because Donald Trump has allowed it. Any real president would have done something to stop it, but since it was working in his favor, he was on board. He was all for it. All right. Blake Masters, the Peter Thiel-funded GOP Senate candidate in Arizona, gave a master class last month in sowing doubt about the results of the midterms before a single ballot was cast. And that's the interesting thing. I talked about this before. There were some 100 lawsuits filed by Republicans about an election that hasn't even happened yet. Well, it's happening today. But they had all these court cases uh, about the election fraud going on in the 2022 election. Of course, the election fraud is non-existent. But what I find really strange is these Republicans, as much as they seem pretty confident that they're going to win on November 8th today, why are they filing all these lawsuits? I mean, if they file the lawsuits about election fraud and they win, doesn't that play badly for them? Does, is this a signal that they know something we don't know? They know they're in bigger trouble than we are being told they are in trouble by our media? Well, I think that's uh, decidedly possible. They are funding all these polls and saying all these things, preparing or being destroyed because of Roe v. Wade. And when they do all this in advance, they believe that gives them more firepower when they claim that there was election fraud. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, nobody's going to buy into that shit. The good news is that many of those lawsuits that were filed, I don't know about many, but uh, uh, several anyway, several of those court cases, the Republicans lost yesterday. So that's good news for democracy, bad news for the Republican. And on any given day when the Republicans get bad news and we get some help with our democracy, that's a good day to me. Now, during a campaign stop, Masters recalled his dad worrying that even if Masters won by 30,000 votes over incumbent Senator Mark Kelly, they'll just find 40,000 for Mark Kelly. He invited me to prove him wrong, Master said. I said, Dad, I can't prove you wrong. All I know is if those are the numbers, I've got to win by 80,000. The crowd reportedly burst into applause. By now, this tactic is familiar. Uh, Republican candidates who have pushed Donald Trump's lies about voter fraud and stolen elections are using the former president's playbook to preemptively claim their election may be fraudulent. You remember in a recent election, it was a woman, I don't know, maybe been California or something like that. She lost by 30 points. And, of course, she claimed election fraud. 
But, of course, it went nowhere. And I think a lot of what's going to happen if they claim election fraud, it's not going to go anywhere. It was a little different when the presidential election was the focal point. This is a national election. There's the electoral count. So there was a bit of confusion in there anyway. It's a little, I won't say awkward, but it is a little convoluted getting to the vote for the president of the United States. There was a lot of slop there where Donald Trump could try to stick his sniffer in the middle of it, create chaos and uncertainty, which is exactly what he tried to do. So basically the attitude here is it's a simple enough fallacy. If you lose, you've already blamed voter fraud. If you win, that means your victory was so substantial that your supporters were able to beat the rigged system. See, any way they go here, they've got the system gamed in their favor. Unfortunately, it won't work out that way anymore. There is no presidential election here. And if there was election fraud, it'd have to be vast. I mean, we're talking state after state after state. It'd have to be senators, governors, secretaries of state. To rig something like that altogether is impossible. And even they have to admit that. The October campaign stop wasn't Masters' first time using that strategy. He went on to say, there's always cheating, probably in every election, the candidate said in July. The question is, what's the cheating capacity? Other Republicans are taking the wait-and-see approach, reserving their right to flip the chessboard once they realize they're losing. Now, of course, a spokesman for Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, he's facing Democrat Mandela Barnes, who's the lieutenant governor. He told the Wisconsin State Journal last month, it is certainly his hope that he can accept the election results. Then he blamed Democratic Governor Tony Evers for for Republicans having a reason to be worried. He would feel much better about the 2022 election had Governor Evers signed the bill, uh, bills the legislature passed to restore confidence in our election system, Zimmerman said. That said, we're doing everything we can to ensure guidances and election procedures comply with state law. We'll be monitoring everything very closely. Tim Michaels, the Republican running against Evers, will accept the results, providing the election is conducted fairly and securely. A spokesperson told the State Journal, Michael's campaign didn't respond to an email asking what he meant by that. Jim Marchant, the Republican candidate for Secretary of State in Nevada, who has said that a deep state cabal has dictated election results for years, has gone back and forth on the same question at one point, telling the Las Vegas Sun he would accept the election results regardless of the outcome. You think we believe him? Kim Crockett, the GOP Secretary of State candidate in my home state of Minnesota, has said she'll accept the results unless the margin of victory is close enough for a recount. However, she added in a press release, As for my confidence in the administration of the 2022 election, that is a different question, which I will answer after the election is held. Which means, if I win, all's good. If I lose, 
there had to be election fraud, which is probably the most childish bullshit that anybody's ever heard. When I voted um, yesterday, I just voted for any Democrat and voted against every Republican. Even if I didn't know who that Democrat was, I knew in my heart that at least if we got the Republicans out, we eradicated this country of trump we are going to be better off. I think to a large degree this country is in is sorely in need of better candidates on both sides of the coin. I told you before I wish Al Franken would come back. I thought he was a hell of a senator, and uh, he's smart, and he knows how to handle people. When I watch some of our senators and many of our representatives, mostly Republican, but on occasion Democrats, you realize how does somebody this stupid get to be in this position of power? And it's, it's truly amazing to me. And the blame can only really be placed on we, the voters. If we um, um, hadn't voted for them, they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't be in office. But the fact of the matter is, we did vote them in. Uh, we let them uh, do what they are doing. There's got to come a point where we say, fuck it, we're going to stop this. This cannot continue. We've got to stop it. All right, you know, we've got the Oath Keepers trial going on for seditious conspiracy. We've got the leader, who is Elmer Stewart Rhodes, and four of his, I don't know, disciples, I guess you would call them. They're all Oath Keepers, and they're all in deep trouble because... They're on trial for seditious conspiracy, and that's a serious, <clears throat> a serious offense and potentially 20 years in jail. So these fucks have to be a little nervous. Now, throughout his testimony, Rhodes deflected the blame for the violence and destruction his group stands accused of bringing um, on the day Congress met to certify the election. He attempted to cast the Oath Keepers as a rational force for peacekeeping, claiming they had provided security to people who asked for it. Yeah, like Roger Stone, who who was the guy that was largely behind this attack. But prosecutors poked holes in his claim with evidence that the Oath Keepers bring violence and intimidation everywhere they go, including Washington, D.C., where... They allegedly stockpiled weapons and prepared for violence leading up to January 6th riot by a mob of Donald Trump supporters. You see, that's the one thing they will always say. There were no weapons there. Well, there were weapons there. Uh, There were a few guns in the crowd at the time, and there were poles and bars and bear spray, and all kinds of things. And while they're maybe not as lethal as guns, they certainly are lethal because people died and were very seriously injured. But they want to tell you nothing happened. Well, that's not going over too well in this trial. The proof shows otherwise. And um, these fucking clowns are going to be convicted of seditious conspiracy. Now, U.S. Attorney Catherine Rakoczy, 
brought up several examples detailing their intimidation tactics, including an instance when the Oath Keepers showed up to protest in Louisville, Kentucky, in the wake of Breonna Taylor's death in a police raid on her home. Uh, Rakagzi played a video clip showing some of the Oath Keepers standing by their trucks in tactical gear, holding rifles as bystanders heckled them. Wouldn't you agree you are doing more to inflame the situation? Rokoxi asked Rose. Rose replied he did not agree. Well, of course he didn't. Sir, do you hear someone on this video imploring you to leave? Rose replied that he did. Now, Rhodes said the Oath Keepers were in the District of Columbia on January 5th and 6th to protect right-wing political advisor Roger Stone, Stop the Steal rally organizer Ali Alexander, and people going to events organized by groups like Blacks for Trump and Trump or Women for Trump. He denied ever telling any Oath Keepers to join the mob breaching the Capitol, or that he was part of the plan from the start. He also denied simply implying that people should storm the building. Now, we have tape of him. We have tape of Elmer Stewart Rhodes saying his only regret for the January 6th insurrection happened to be that they did not bring rifles. He also stated on this tape, that he had planned to hang Nancy Pelosi from a fucking tree or a pole or something like that. Now, this isn't sounding like somebody who's all about peace and protection. These are words coming directly out of his mouth. You can see how fucked he is here. See, the prosecution ended their case with that audio tape. And now what's happening is the Oath Keepers and their defense attorneys are trying to mount a defense. And frankly, they don't have any defense. They are losers. They are jokes. They are cosplay soldiers. They think they're tough until they become accountable. Now, Rhodes estimated that 100 Oath Keepers were in the Capitol on January 6th. He and four others, Kelly Meggs, Kenneth Harrelson, Thomas Caldwell, and Jessica Watkins, are accused of organizing to keep Trump in power despite the November 2020 election results. Rhodes did not go inside the Capitol himself. Of course he didn't, because he's a fucking coward. But prosecutors say that a mountain of evidence shows that he primed others to do so. He was the leader of the group. He, of course, isn't going to take any heat or get into the fight. He's going to stand back like a general and watch his forces fight. Now, the interesting thing about Stuart Rhodes, Elmer Stuart Rhodes, it's probably good that he didn't go into fight. Because if you've ever seen a picture of him, he has an eye patch. And you know how he got that eye patch? He was fucking around with a gun, Mr. Superstar, cosplay soldier, and he shot himself in the fucking eye. Isn't that just desserts? Isn't that fucking karma? Let's talk about Donald Trump. Now, in a rambling speech to an audience in Ohio, Donald Trump aired all of the grievances involving the cases against him. 
Now, the last thing Donald Trump should be doing, and I'm sure any of his lawyers would advise him, is to not talk about the cases. You know what I mean? That, that's not a good thing. Now, in talking about the lawsuit from the Manhattan District Attorney, he said that Alan Weisselberg is being persecuted for nothing more than fringe benefits. He then went around people in the audience asking them if they pay their taxes, even saying that a man dressed as Uncle Sam probably didn't. So he's trying to normalize people not paying their taxes. It's whataboutism. You didn't pay your taxes. Why, why does he have to? Well, see, the thing is, these fringe benefits are still income. And income, whether it's a fringe benefit or if it's actual payroll payments, you still got to pay taxes on it. And for 15 years, Alan Weisselberg did not pay taxes, nor did Donald Trump. This was intentional. This was illegal. And to suggest uh, nobody pays their taxes, so this is fine, is absolutely ridiculous. It's not a reasonable argument. When it came to bring up the documents taken from the White House, Trump tried to justify it by implying, implying he should still have the nuclear codes. Oh, yeah, that would be great. I'm the only one who can't take anything, Trump said. Maybe our country would be better off if I had the nuclear codes because our enemies would be afraid. Well, maybe the enemies would be afraid, but who are the enemies? Our major enemy is uh, Russians, and you're buddies with Vladimir Putin. So how does you having the codes make it any safer? It doesn't. It's all bullshit. Donald Trump just pulls shit out of his ass and he starts spewing whatever on his mind and he assumes he can talk his way around fucking anything. Now, it is election day and it's unclear whether the so-called red wave the Republicans have been talking about since early 2022 will eventually materialize. But one thing is certain, something is happening in early voting and it is helping the Democrats. Now, MSNBC showed numbers in Ohio, Georgia, and Wisconsin that proved the enthusiasm of Democrats to get to the polls isn't as suppressed as GOP pollsters want you to believe. In one conversation with Nicole Wallace and Joy Reid, one or on the election panel Monday, Reid explained that the people don't simply forget that they were freaked out by an attack on the Capitol or that they lost their right to govern their own health care and their own bodies. You know, normal things like scandals and stuff people get over and forget about, but they aren't forgetting about overturning Roe v. Wade or trying to mount a coup against our country. That's not something that people get over. She also addressed the issue of a large swath of women voting. It isn't because they're rushing to fight inflation, she explained. Women just don't get over the idea that they no longer own their bodies. That's not something that they say. Hey, you know, I wish milk was a little cheaper. I'll probably get over it. That isn't something that happens, said Reed. So when I look at the electorate and the way the campaigns are looking at it, they're saying, can Republicans catch up to the 4 million vote lead on Election Day? Because that's when they are voting. Wallace had another point when it came to the issue of choice of 
and abortion rights. She noted that despite being a longtime political operative, she doesn't trust polls, particularly when it comes to women. I think it's unknowable, and I think she is absolutely right about this. When the Republicans or the pollsters or even the media say, oh, the Republicans are charging, yeah, the Republicans could win, clearly they're not taking into account some things. Women in this country, they make up 51% of this country. And I'm talking about Republicans and I'm talking about Democrats and independents. When it comes to Roe v. Wade and having a constitutional right taken away from you and uh, the right to make choices for yourself, that is going to anger women. And they are not going to forget about it. They're just not going to forget about it. No matter what you think, no matter what you say, it's not going to work. When you talk about taking away Social Security and Medicare, well, this, this impacts Republicans as well as it does Democrats. Now, you're going to say, well, Republicans are stupid. I don't think all Republicans are stupid. I do think that, uh, that the base for Donald Trump is stupid. There's something else that happened in the last several weeks. Uh, Barack Obama has been speaking out toward the... Um, toward the electorate, and he's a masterful speaker. He had a lot to say, and here's the interesting thing about Barack Obama. If you look at the polling between Joe Biden, Donald Trump, some of the other trump and Barack Obama, the only difference between um, these three entities is that Barack Obama is the only one that polls higher than the others, that polls higher than 50%. So it's going to be interesting to see how much impact Barack Obama has had on this election. There's one thing I also wanted to talk about, and that was Georgia. Now, in Georgia... There was a competitive gubernatorial seat with Stacey Adams the first time. Republicans held the edge in early voting numbers by 4.6%. But this year, Georgia Republicans aren't going anywhere near the early voting. They've only had 41% of their votes turn out. Democrats, by contrast, have had 49% of their voters coming out in early voting. And again, when these people come out in force... That generally is positive for them. Now, in the Senate seat in Georgia, you need to understand this. We have Raphael Warnock, who is the incumbent in the Senate seat for Georgia. He is going up against today Herschel Walker. He is an incompetent. He's a fool. He's an idiot. The thought that he could even win this race is just unimaginable. I know people in Georgia. I own some property in Georgia. If Herschel Walker wins the Senate seat, I'm going to be immensely disappointed in a state that I have some connection to now. I'm going to be immensely 
disappointed. What people have to understand is if you vote Republican, if a Republican wins in your district, just know this, you are going to get exactly what you deserve. And a year from now, you are going to regret your vote. And come 2024, these fools, if they end up being the um, elected folks, it's not going to bode well in 2024. It may mess up what the Democrats want to do now, but it's just going to hurt you in the long run. In the next two years, we're going to have indictments, investigations, more things exposed. I don't know how much more you can expose with Herschel Walker. I mean, he already looks pretty fucking foolish, and he looks like a liar, and he looks incompetent. I just don't see how in any way Herschel Walker wins. But the media will tell you it's close. He may be ahead a little bit. But when you consider the turnout in Georgia, you have to know that that's going to work against Herschel Walker. I see Warnock winning this, but here's how this goes in Georgia. Because we may not know today or tomorrow, the next day, who is the next senator from Georgia. Because Georgia has something called runoffs. And what that essentially means, and this is how Warnock got into office in the first place, as well as John Ossoff, both Ossoff and and, uh, Raphael Warnock, we're in a runoff. See, what happens here is they have the election. And if neither side got more than 50%, they, do, they have a do-over. They have a runoff. You see, in like a Senate run, like we're having with Warnoff and Herschel Walker, there might be a libertarian or somebody else that takes away some of the votes. So after it's all said and done, say Herschel Walker has 47% of the vote and Raphael Warnock has 48% of the vote, Warnock doesn't win that. Or if it's vice versa, Herschel Walker wouldn't be the winner. They'd have to stop. And then on December 6th, they would have a runoff election. So that means the people in Georgia are going to have to suffer through more advertising, more bullshit, more rhetoric up until January 6th, and on January 6th, that's or December 6th, I'm sorry, that's when they will have the runoff, and that will determine who is the senator from Georgia. Now, with any luck, Raphael Warnock will get 51% of the vote, and the runoff won't be necessary. But be prepared for that. If this race is anywhere near as close as some people are saying, and I don't think it is, but if it is, they are going to have to run off. So after the election today, we'll wait about a month, and then there will be a runoff election between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. So we could be sitting on that one, waiting on that one for a while before we know the result of the election for the Senate seat in Georgia. All right. Let's wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to sit and listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.